Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. We are starting our new series this morning. Uh, We are looking at the Gospel of Mark. Uh, I'm actually really, really excited about this because, uh, believe it or not, I'm not one who enjoys uh, overthinking stuff. I quite like, if I choose a movie, uh, often it will be an awful but uh, fast-paced Hollywood thing that just keeps me kind of entertained all the time. And the Gospel of Mark is a little bit like that out of the Gospels. Uh, James and I are really excited. Uh, I, I have recorded, yeah. And now that will be on the recording, which is awesome. Uh, so, yeah, we, uh, we're really excited about going through this gospel as a church. Uh, I believe that God is really going to speak to us as a church, but actually to us individually as we walk through it. It's going to take us uh, a few months, uh, but it could take us a few years if we were to do it like diligently. Uh, and so we're going to try and do the best we can. Uh, but I just wanted to, just before we start, we're going to close our eyes and we're going to pray. There's something about when we hear the word of God, whether that's on a Sunday, where, when we're reading it, uh, it can, we can become quite passive. Uh, and there's a, there is a responsibility on our part as the listener to, to expect God to speak to us. And uh, we don't want to be robotic about it. We don't just want to chuck out noise at you. I believe God really does want to touch each and every heart. And it could be that this morning it's, it's the one that, that really gets you. It might be that it's in a few weeks' time and it's our responsibility not to switch off. So let's pray. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning. God, I thank you for your amazing, perfect word. The assurance that we can have through it. I pray, would you speak to each and every single one of us? Would over the course of this series, we be so much more aware of who you are, Jesus? How you care for us? How to understand you more? Lord, would we be captivated by your wonder and your beauty? Amen. Amen. Okay, so in the next 20 minutes, I'm going to try and do a bit of a, start off doing a bit of an introduction about the book of Mark, and then we're going to look at a a key thing uh, to pull out from the first chapter. The Gospel of Mark, I've I've kind of, in every chapter, there's something that's a really good little soundbite, a little teaser that's going to keep us kind of looking forward to next week. And it was actually a really good exercise for me to look through the whole book and just look at what are the cool things. And uh, here's a few headlines. Chapter one, you've got a weirdo who dresses like a camel and eats locusts. So that's, I mean, if that was on Netflix, that's going to keep you a little bit entertained, isn't it? Chapter two, you've got demon possession. Okay, maybe we're in Netflix, we're in a bit more of the horror genre. Okay, what's going on? Chapter three. Deception, intrigue, and someone who declares a mission that's more significant than his own family. Now that bucks the trend. I think if you're watching a movie, it's all about save my family. I'll, you know, like taken. I'm going to rescue <laughs> my daughter. But someone says there's a mission more important than that. Chapter four, you've got this guy who controls the weather. Chapter five, these miraculous healings coming up all over the place. Chapter six, you've got a beheading. And someone feeding 5,000 people out of one picnic. And then someone able to walk on water. You've got feeding 4,000 more people. 
And then you've got this kind of key thing in chapter 8 where the whole thing takes this bit of a turn as people or one particular person suddenly understands what it's all about. Chapter 9, you've got this man who becomes like God on a mountain. Chapter 10, this man then tells the future after meeting a rich young ruler. Chapter 11, the man who kills a tree with a word while tempers flare in a temple. Then you've got this comparison with this man and Caesar, the most powerful man in the known civilised world at that time. Chapter 13, how's the world going to end? Yeah, we get answers in Mark for that. Chapter 14, plotting, betrayal, denial. Chapter 15, criminals, murder and a burial. And chapter 16, even death couldn't stop this guy. I mean, that's a lot to look forward to, isn't it? 16 chapters. So a few quick facts and details about Mark. As with all scripture, it's God-breathed, it's God-inspired. It wasn't just a man writing down some notes from a few conversations that he had. This is God in heaven inspiring someone who puts quill to parchment, pen to paper, and hearing what is God saying, what does God want to communicate? And it's not just for people 2,000 years ago when he wrote it, it's for us right now, every day. This is something we can feed on and be fed by. It's a gospel. Mark is a gospel. That is, gospel means good news. This is good news, and we're going to read a little bit about that at the start of this chapter. So it's a biography about Jesus's life. So there's four biographies, four people write about Jesus, and they all do it in slightly different ways. This is the shortest gospel of the lot, but it contains the most miracles out of all the gospels. It was most likely the first gospel written, and it's genuinely attributed to a man called Mark, who was an associate of Paul and a disciple of Peter. So he would have had a real good understanding of what life with Jesus would have been like from his conversations. And one of the most significant themes in this gospel is that God comes as a suffering servant. It's topsy-turvy, does things in a a way that we didn't expect. And it's fast-paced. It's like that Hollywood, let's go. So it's like watching a highlight reel. It's like watching Max of the Day as opposed to sitting and having to watch through all of the games (laughs) non-stop. So let's dive right into chapter one. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah I didn't have it written up, so if you've got a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 1, right at the start. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you. The messenger is is John the Baptist in this situation. He's going to prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance For the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. There's a a Bible scholar called N.T. Wright, and he he talks about this start of 
mark feeling like it's it's like you've been a little bit asleep maybe you're a bit drowsy and someone comes with a bucket of water and goes and shuts it on your face because it's we're straight in there's no kind of like slowly gently kind of uh, kind of encourage you into the the gospel we're wow we're straight into the story there's no infant jesus story there's no stable there's no manger we start with this guy john the baptist And John's in this desert, which is no coincidence. If you read the whole of chapter one, uh, actually, we we get this wilderness thing coming through. We talked about it in Life Group this week. And one of the significant things there is, in history, if you're a Jew, the wilderness has been somewhere you know where God does business with his people. It's not just like how often we might think of the desert, which is like barren and empty and nothing happens. For the listeners, like, oh no, stuff happens when you're in in the wilderness. I better wake up and have a look at what's going on. Interestingly, this is where we see Jesus disappear and spend his time with God in, in that kind of personal relationship in that first chapter. There's so much that we could talk about this morning. We just don't have time for it all. But the book of Mark begins as he reminds us of that thing that the prophet Isaiah spoke 700 years before. That was that, that quote that we just read in the start of it. I'll send my messenger ahead of you. Prepare the way. And Mark is drawing this link between this prophet 700 years before and this other new prophet who stood outside in the wilderness. And it's like, oh, hang on a minute. So God promised something ages ago. And now this guy is kind of reminding us of that. So we better get ready and listen. Interestingly, the following verses from that Isaiah bit, if you go back and read Isaiah, the next lines after kind of prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. It says, every valley shall be raised up every mountain and hill will be made low the rough ground will become level and the rugged places a plain and this is the tone of mark's book it's a topsy turvy kingdom you've got these big things that make themselves low and you've got these low things that get lifted up and we're going to see a little bit about what that looks like in practice in a very personal way at the end of this chapter alone but we start by looking at big things coming low. Jesus, God himself, made himself low, coming from heaven to earth. Throughout his ministry, he's doing that kind of making low things high again. He restores the lowly, the sick, the outcast, those who feel hopeless. Perhaps that's you this morning. The message of Mark is good news for you because you don't have to stay stuck in the low places because God is doing a topsy-turvy thing. It's wonderful. So we see Jesus' baptism, the next bit, after John the Baptist in chapter 1, Jesus gets baptised. This perfect God-man came down from heaven to earth to the dust and the grit of this thing, his creation. God calls out when Jesus is baptised, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. This is one of the most, I think, one of the most beautiful, most complete pictures of the Trinity in action in one sort of situation in the Bible. God the Father, with his, rips open heaven, sends his spirit in the form of a dove and says, this is my son. And I'm well pleased with him. What's Jesus done so far? Not a lot in this book. Not a lot. But we have this understanding of, hang on, there's something different about this guy. 
In fact, nothing in Scripture so far has looked as perfect since the creation back in Genesis than this moment, I would argue. And God the Father looks down and smiles. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. You know, if you're a Christian, that is exactly how God looks on you. My son, my daughter, with you I am well pleased. And it's not built on a whole raft of stuff that we've done. It's built purely on our identity with Christ. I think it's absolutely wonderful. It's hard. It's a hard concept to get our heads around. In 2 Corinthians 5, the Bible says, It's for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a, there's a clothing exchange that happens. My filthy rags of my sin and my dirt, the things that separate me from God, the things that would cause God to, to look on me with, no, I can't have that. I can't be around that. Suddenly, Jesus says, I'll deal with that. You, you put this on. You put me on. Suddenly, I can stand. My Father in heaven looks on me. He's well pleased. <sighs> Wonderful. I'll spend my entire life getting my head around that. I think it's absolutely beautiful. And I want to encourage you this morning. Maybe you're feeling a little bit ragged and dirty. Maybe you're feeling like, how could God look on me like that? Because you can be clothed with the beauty and the righteousness of Jesus. And all you have to do is ask. So good. So good. We're all desperate for acceptance. A loving father to tell us that they're pleased with us. I've worked with enough children that are fatherless in this part of the city. I've worked with enough children that have struggled with understanding who they are, constantly living their whole lives into adulthood, wondering, should I challenge, should I go back, should I find my dad, should I confront him? Will that bring some sort of resolution to my insecurities? Maybe it will. But actually God offers us an eternal solution with an eternal Father who provides an eternal love and an eternal acceptance. You can see why this is good news. John the Baptist. Right, good news, it's coming. And we're only in the first few verses of the chapter. I'm really, really excited. But sometimes it can be like a bit philosophical. It can be a little bit too like jargony, a bit wordy, and it's like all this stuff about being made righteous, being made clean. I don't really know what that means. And one of the good things about this book is it's going to walk us through individual lives that are transformed by Jesus, by his very... One of the wonderful things about Mark is there's lots of Jesus using his hands to heal people. There's something of the, the closeness, the intimacy, the, the, the kind of gentle kind of like... It's one thing for someone to say, I love you. It's another thing when they pick you up and they grab you in a bear hug and they squeeze you and say, I love you. Like it's that sort of tangible feeling of God's love through the actions of Jesus. And at the end of chapter 1, we see an example of this. I was reading something when I was preparing. It says, in 1966, England charged to glory by winning the Football World Cup. It fell on the captain, Bobby Moore, to have the honour of walking up the steps of Wembley Stadium to receive the trophy from the Queen. What, a, what an honour. Asked afterwards how he felt about that historic moment, Moore admitted that he was terrified. The Queen, he'd noticed, was wearing pristine white gloves. His hands were covered in dirt from the match. And he was going to have to shake her hand. 
And so he walks up the steps. He frantically tries to wipe the mud off his hands. I'm sure most of us have an experience or a time where we've maybe felt a bit dirty, a bit unclean, where we've worn the wrong clothes in, a, uh, in an environment. But Mark's Gospel introduces us, uh, sorry, introduces, all too, uh, introduces us to someone who knew all too well what it meant to feel unclean. In Mark 1, verse 40 to 45, Jesus encounters this leper, someone with like a skin condition uh, that left him ceremonially unclean. That's a bit of a jargony word. Basically, meant he wasn't allowed to take part in the stuff that he was needing to do as, as a Jew. And he was kind of a bit more kind of, oh, you're an outcast. You're not allowed to be around us. No more coming around to our house for dinner. No more gathering with us as, a, as, a, as we celebrate the sense of togetherness as a people of God. This leprosy was a particularly cruel uh, condition. It was regarded as incurable and highly contagious. So something that is incurable and highly contagious meant people did not want to be around you. You are an outcast. Those afflicted with it endured physical the discomfort of it and social isolation. And for something that they did not do to themselves or bring on themselves, they were regarded as a spiritual as well as a physical contagion. What a horrible way to talk about other humans. Whether they spoke openly about it or not, that was certainly how the system worked, and it was certainly how people would have felt. Maybe that's how you feel. Maybe you feel sometimes that you're in environments where you feel people look at you as if you're contagious, there's something wrong with you, you don't meet the standards. And that might be because of something you have done. Maybe you're familiar with the story of Shakespeare, uh, Lady Macbeth. She's been complicit in the murder of King Duncan and it weighed so heavily on her that even in her sleep she's trying to wash the blood, her, her conscience, she's trying to wash it clean. There's no physical blood on her hands but it's just this, this psychological kind of I can't get over what I've done here and it is consuming me from the inside. She says, will these hands ever be clean? I think Shakespeare had a really good insight into the kind of subconscious workings of guilt. It's not just our own actions, actually, that could put us in that position of being an outcast. Perhaps you've been on the end of human evil, and it's left you feeling a sense of being unclean. Again, I've worked with many kids that have experienced challenges abuse from other people that have left them feeling dirty themselves. It's not that they understand that what that person did to me means that they are evil or that they are wrong or they are messed up. The byproduct of that interaction is that they themselves feel that they are in the wrong, that they should be guilty, that there's something wrong with them. It's horrible. It's cancerous. I hate it. So we need to pay close attention here to this encounter with Mark, I think, and this leper comes to him. We don't really know much about the background of him, but he implores Jesus, and kneeling, he said to him, if you will, Jesus, you can make me clean. Again, it's leprosy, as far as we know, it's not a result of any sin he committed, but as the law said in those days, you weren't allowed to touch anyone else. But he knows, he sees something in Jesus. 
this unique power, power to restore him. There's something different about this guy. And Mark, right away, is like, yeah, there is something different about this guy. Jesus has the power to restore him, to clean him. That if you will that the leper asked may indicate that he knows he's got no right to such a healing, but he's brave and he's bold enough to do it anyway. He says, like, if you will, I'm on my knees here. He doesn't presume that he deserves it. He hasn't earned to go up to Jesus and ask for it. And Jesus is moved by this man's plight. He's not indifferent. Jesus doesn't back away in revulsion. Say, whoa, whoa, don't touch me. That's not Jesus' response. He feels for the man. Jesus reaches out and he, he touches him. It's likely the first time in however long that man has ever been touched by another human being. Now, for, we can't always get our heads around that. I'm a bit of a feely person. We talk about love languages in our family. Different people feel love and feel affection in different ways. And I think you notice the lack of affection when you realise you're not getting it after a long time. And the human default often is, well, if I'm not getting it here, I'll go and find somewhere where, we're, where I will get it. And that can cause all sorts of mess as well. Jesus feels for the man, he touches him. And this is what Jesus does with the uncleanness of those who come to him as this leper did. Rather than withdrawing in disgust, he draws near and he reaches out to us. He moves towards us, not away from us. Mark 1.41, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand, touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Jesus is willing. And the effect is immediate and it's dramatic. Immediately leprosy left him and it made him clean. We're going to get used to the word immediately in Mark. There's lots of ands. And immediately this. And then they went here. That's how, how the pace of the book goes. Immediately the leprosy left him. It was made, he was made clean. Now you may read this and you might think, well, I'm the exception. My filth is so bad. Yeah, I can sing and I can read a few Bible verses. But if God or if my brothers and sisters in church really knew the thoughts going around my head or the stuff that I, that I spend my time doing or thinking about, if they really knew kind of just the fact that I wasn't quite there, nah, there's too, too much for God, it's too far for God to kind of, he's finished with me now, I've had that chance, I've done the kind of salvation thing 10 years ago and now I've slipped into these habits. Or perhaps you're not a Christian and you're thinking, well, I could never be one because my filth is so dirty, Jesus definitely wouldn't go near me. It's like saying, your leprosy was so bad that Jesus himself would stand there and say, no, not you, actually. I'll deal with these lepers, but yours is too bad. That's just not who we see in the Word of God. And actually, there's a form of pride in that because you make everything about yourself. You make your junk so difficult for God. It's like, nah, what's going on? This is topsy-turvy. This is the wonderful, cosmic, majestic king of the universe who can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants it. Don't make your junk bigger than God. Bobby Moore was left to ineffectually wipe his hands clean. But Christ wipes all of our stuff, all of our sin, all of our junk off of us forever. I will, so be clean. That can be your song this morning. You're clean. Nothing to worry about. This is good news. 
There's no barriers. There's nothing that stops you approaching God boldly. There's nothing that stops you singing, I am free! Because Jesus loves me. It's wonderful. It's life-giving. So often we just find ourselves slipping back. So, oh yeah, but I did this thing. I'll be honest with you, church. This morning I had a horrible thought come into my head. Horrible. What do I do with that? Take it to God. I'm not carrying that with me. Now I can sing. It's okay. I'm not honest. I'm not trying to be arrogant. I get it because there are days where I'm, I'm not like that and I struggle more. But it's certainly not something that should hold us back. So in summary, we saw at the start this John the Baptist announcing the good news. Someone is coming. He's amazing. And we see this beautiful picture of the Trinity in action as Jesus is baptised. God, he's pleased with his son. And because of his son's actions, we all get to experience the same call from God. You are my sons. You are my daughters. With you, I am well pleased. So what's our response, church? to worship I think so will you pray with me now it might be that I've said a few things this morning that have just hit a bit of a nerve and I know different people kind of respond to kind of like some people need to kind of talk about that stuff to kind of process it other people want to be by themselves I'd encourage you we're we're going to be putting on Dave is going to Dave Williams is going to be writing a few bits on Mark on his blog uh, on his Faith Reach podcast in Life Group, we're going to be going through the book of Mark to see how this really challenges us and affects our day-to-day living as a result of this. I'll share a few helpful snippets, uh, kind of overview things of Mark on the WhatsApp group. If you're not on there, just let me know and I'll send it to you separately. But I really want, to, I want, I want us to get the book of Mark into us over the next few months because I really do think it can change our lives. Would you pray with me now? Let's ask God to help us.